Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's lovely to see you all. Um, so this morning, um, I'm going to be talking about this discipline of worship or this practice of worship. And obviously, I can't do it justice in one talk. I'm just going to give you a facet of this. And I think the whole um, idea of us do it going through these different disciplines is that um, you will kind of pick up a flavour of each of these disciplines as we go through them and then hopefully on your own you will explore them more. Now obviously I'm very aware that I'm speaking, I feel that um, we're a church of very mature Christians, a lot of you have been Christians for a long time and so a lot of you have um, knowledge beyond my knowledge or um, experience beyond my experience and um, so everyone's coming kind of to these kind of talks from a different place and so some of these disciplines will be a, a really familiar thing in your lives and you might practice them daily others will be less familiar and I think I just wanted to kind of reiterate this at the beginning that um, we're not trying to give you um, kind of a list of rules and regulations to follow or um, this is how it should be it's really well, what I see as giving you a flavour of something that's going to develop your relationship with God and help you to press in and um, take hold of God, maybe in a new or a deeper way. And so I'm going to give you kind of one facet of worship. Um, there is far more to this than I'm going to be on you know be able to unpack in this talk. So I would really encourage you um, to go and read um, Richard Foster's book. It's a really good chapter on worship. Um, so there's loads more there and obviously there's loads of um, resources out there. I think Debbie shared a video which I haven't watched yet from Mike Pilavacci. Um, so there's loads of stuff out there on worship. Um, but what I'm going to talk to you about is kind of um, my experience and really what God's been talking to me a bit about over the lockdown period. So um, Going into lockdown, obviously, very quickly, we were in the Easter holidays. Now, in the Easter holidays, as a teacher, I try and make the most of the Easter holidays. But if it was a normal Easter holiday, I would be meeting all the friends I never see during term time because we're too busy. I would, you know, try and go out every day. I try doing loads of things that and really loving, you know, those three weeks. Obviously, I would be spending time with God, but this... Um, rhythm that was forced onto us that I had three weeks when I didn't have to do any schoolwork um, and we weren't allowed to go out so we were just in the house really um, well for me personally it was a really kind of special time with God um, it allowed me to like extend my morning quiet time because I wasn't rushing off to work um, and I very consciously tried to practice spending all day in God's presence now I don't want to sound super spiritual and I don't mean that you know I just sat there and prayed uh, or worshipped all day but I tried to kind of uh, walk around doing whatever I was doing um, but being very aware of God and trying to listen to him and respond if he spoke or respond if I felt um, a direction or something. And um, during this time, I really felt this call on us to have this really intimate relationship with God. And the fact that we were having all these things stripped away and all the kind of rush and hectic 
hecticness of life was kind of taken away from us, I feel there was something really precious in there. It felt like we were kind of getting back to this kind of heart of our relationship with God. Um, and I think some of you, some others of you that we've talked about this sort of thing before have felt a similar thing. And one of the passages that um, I thought a lot about was this, this passage about in the Garden of Eden that Martin read out to us. And this idea that right back at the very start, when um, God created everything, he created this garden, he put in it that, that um, you know, Adam and Eve, and um, created everything in this amazing garden. And this thing about Adam and Eve being bare, being naked, and I don't know, when I was just thinking about this, it just felt that this was a real picture of intimacy, as in there was nothing kind of between them and God, if you see what I mean. There was no, I know, clothing uh, as a kind of representative, uh, like a barrier between them and God. And we read, you know, if we carry on reading in the next chapter, we read this lovely um, picture of, before sin came into the garden of them walking around in the garden and, garden and God walking in the garden with them and talking. And it's such a kind of intimate um, expression of um god's kind of heart for a relationship with his people and um there's just something kind of really truly special i don't know special there and obviously then okay they ruin it sin comes in and they're cast out but as we go through kind of we go through the old testament we see these glimpses of this intimate relationship between god and his people so just a little bit further on, we see, we hear about this, um, this kind of um, straight, this man called Enoch. We don't know hardly anything about him. He's just there in the genealogy. We hear about him in Hebrews and, and in Genesis, just these few verses. And the only thing that's really said about us is, is that he walked with God for 300 years. So I think at the age of about 68, he had his son. And then after that, he said for 300 years, he walked with God. And I, I, there's just something in that. There's just uh, this picture of, um, I think, an intimate relationship, him walking with God. And then we know that he was taken up. He didn't even die because, you know, he was taken to be with God um, kind of straight away without death. Um, and then we think about, like, um, the other thing that I thought a lot about was Moses in the tent of meeting. And um, how we read about Moses going into that tent of meeting to meet with God. And as he went into that tent, you know, the glory of the Lord would come down as the smoke or the fire. And he would go in there and talk to God face to face as a man talks to a friend. Okay. There's just something, you know, there's something in that, this kind of a revelation of God's kind of the intimacy of God's heart towards his people how he wants this intimate relationship with us and i think then kind of the whole rest of the bible it's almost like the whole bible is a love story so it started off in this kind of perfect um relationship in the garden god with adam and eve obviously the relationships breaks down but then as we go through the Old Testament, the New Testament, we see this kind of process of God trying to woo back his people to get back to that intimate relationship with him. Obviously, they keep sinning. They keep falling down. They keep worshipping idols, putting things in God's place rather than him. And so, but it's this story. But then at the end, 
we see this marriage. So this marriage of um, God and the Jesus and his church. And so it's a bit like a love story. It's a bit like started and it's kind of ends up with this wedding. And then at the end, you know, they live happily ever after. You know, I know I'm being a bit irreverent kind of thing, but that is, you know, it just feels that this is a whole um, progression. And the more we read, um, Certain bits of the Old Testament, I feel, are really, really the such um, descriptions of God's love for his people and his desire for them and his reaching out again and again, however many times they fail and um, move away from him. He's there kind of waiting for them to return. Now, you might think, what am I doing? Why am I talking about intimacy? I'm supposed to be talking about worship. But actually, I think these two things are really, um, really closely linked. And I think one of the ways that we can kind of, I don't want to say achieve intimacy with God, but, you know, um, develop intimacy with God is through um, worship and through, especially through sung worship. Now, um, what do we mean by worship? I think if I said to you, if I asked most of you, if I said to you, okay, if we're thinking about worship, what do we mean? Um, some of you might make a distinction between praise and worship, and it might be more, oh, praise is, um, you know, faster song, worship is a more, you know, meditative, quieter song, and it might be, you might think that that's that kind of idea. But actually, this word worship is far much more, far weightier than just how we use it in everyday life there's quite a tendency um, to use words because we know their English meaning and not really think about what actually was saying in the bible what was this word worship meaning so what we're going to look at is just quickly like the Hebrew and the Greek words for worship and praise so we can see kind of what at the the heart of what these uh, these words actually mean. So I am not um, an expert in Hebrew or Greek, so I'm just going to share with you what I found, what I found when I was uh, thinking about these words. And um, I probably will pronounce them wrong, 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 but Ron and Ron can correct us later. But if we look at uh, this word um, for worship, is this word shakaha? I don't know. Anyway, I'm not going to pronounce it. But basically, the meaning of it is um, to bow down with your face to the ground, to do obeisance or prostrate yourself. Similarly, the Greek word for um, worship is prokunio, which is, means a very similar thing, like make obeisance, fawn, crouch, prostrate, reverence, kiss the hand, fall upon the knee. It's all giving a picture of falling and worshipping someone that is greater than you. And the interesting thing about this Hebrew word is that it's translated differently according to who the worship is being done to. So the same word is used for um, worshipping man. For, so for example, um, Ruth, when she falls down at the feet of Boaz, um, to, and recognise him, him as kind of master. It says that she shahars this shahars him. Um, so basically, she worships him. However, there it's translated as falls down. When it's applied to God, it's um, translated as worship. 
but the same kind of meaning is there. So this idea of worshipping God is a falling down, recognising that he is king, that we are below him, and um, he is the one with ultimate authority. So it's that reverence, that kind of bowing down, making ourselves lower, make, so that he's the highest one. And um, very interestingly, this, the Greek word here, is um, literally kind of sums up the idea of a dog coming towards the hand of his master and licking the master's hand. Gary's laughing there. He probably knows that Charlie licks his hand. <laughs> so it's that sign of like, um, kind of that, um, you know, I'm the servant, you're the master. Now I know that we have got this friendship with God, but there's this reverence between us and God. So like this bowing down, this is kind of this humbling ourselves. Whereas praise is very different. Praise is, there's two, word, two main words for praise in the Hebrew is halal and yada. And they all, it's all about singing, glorifying, celebrating, praising. So this idea, I read a really nice um, comparison here between um, praising and worshipping the difference between the two so um, this person was saying if we think of a football team scoring a goal and the football team will grab the person with that scored the goal and puts him on their shoulders and they're all going yeah 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 they're all celebrating what he's done you know they're lifting him high they're extolling you know that sort of idea so that is praise praise is lifting someone high whereas worship is what we do when we met a, meet a king. If we met a king in real life, we wouldn't lift them on our shoulders to, you know, to <laughs> praise them. We would bow down in reverence and submission and um, just bowing low before them, showing that they are the ones that have the ultimate power. We are the ones that are lower. And so there's a real difference between praise and worship. We're not simply talking about, um, the difference between a fast song or a clappy song or an a quieter song that's not the, the 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 distinction that the bible makes actually probably what we're doing when we're saying when we do sung worship that is probably praise really if you look at the biblical um definition of it however when we come into god's presence and um sing worship in that kind of that we are saying that he is king that he is higher than us then that is an expression of worship to God um so how do we get into so if one of the ways that we can um come into or develop this intimate relationship with God I feel is through sung worship I think there's a a real um a real um E, not ease is the wrong word, but a real, um, oh, I'll say ease, a real kind of journey towards intimacy with God through sung worship and that sung praise. If we think about um, the holy, so going into the temple, so often when I am, when we're doing, we're worshipping, I have that picture in my head of like going into the temple. So going into the courts and then traveling towards the Holy of Holies, this place 
where God actually dwelt, you know, above the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. So it's like this process. And I think that there is, that that's very helpful. Well, it's very helpful for me. I don't know if it'd be helpful for you. So we read in Psalm 100 that it talks about, you know, um, entering his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. So it's really good to enter into this a place of intimacy with God, like praising him for what he's done. He has been so faithful, even if we forgot, um, forgot his faithfulness to us and we just praised him for who he is what he has done as in created the world that he is the only true God there is so much in that to enter in to his presence presence thanking him and um give you know just giving him thanks and praise and that's a real kind of feel an entrance in and then kind of we journey into this kind of holy of holies towards his presence and I think as we draw closer to God and as we draw closer to kind of almost the Holy of Holies, where we know that we can only go in because of Jesus' death on the cross, that brings a kind of a reverence and a kind of um, kind of holy awe and a holy fear of coming into God's presence. Because we realise that it's only through Jesus' blood that we are able to enter into that place of really meeting God face to face, meeting with him in that truly intimate way. And so as we enter that place, what happens? So I just want to read Isaiah chapter 6. It's a very familiar passage when Isaiah has this vision of um, God. So Isaiah Chapter six. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called another to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the, the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of the hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And I think that's an amazing picture of what happens when we come into that kind of the Holy of Holy, the presence of God. And um, like Isaiah, the coal was put on his lips to take his sin away. Obviously, we've got the blood of Jesus washing our sins away. But we can come into that place where God is king and we are humbling ourselves underneath him. And I think what happens when you're in that place of kind of true worship is that you 
something dramatic actually happens um, to you spiritually? When I was thinking about this, the word that came to mind was um, realignment, which was really funny because I know that Jules has spoken to her house group about, was it recalibration, I think. So I don't know what she spoke about, but um, what I find happens when I come into God's presence like that, into that intimate place of worshipping him, is that you find everything kind of comes back into the way it should be. What do I mean by that? So like naturally, even as Christians, I feel that we are a very, we're very selfish, or it might just be, you know, we, often we are thinking about ourselves, what we need, what um, we want, what are we going to get out of this? And yet when you're in God's presence, all that fades away. It's nothing about us and it's all about him. And what I find when you're in that place of worship, then everything else fades away. And it's like God can is so is close and um, basically sorts out priorities and corrects our vision. Because instead of being concerned with all the things about what I want, it's nothing about me and all about him. And I think one of the um, lovely verses that I like to think about when I'm, you know, going to this place of worship and seeking after meeting with God in a really real way is, you know, the, the verse in James that says, draw close to God and he will draw close to you. So we have this promise that if we draw close to him, and I think it's a thing that doesn't um, just happen. It, it, it takes working at, it takes commitment, it takes time. Um, and, but it's worth it because I think what happens is we get changed spiritually more into the image of Jesus through this experience of worshiping him. And I think looking at that chapter from Isaiah, we're not looking at, at going into God's presence to have this, um, this time where we have, oh, you know, we really felt God pre God's presence and, oh, I was really blessed. It's not about that. Yes, that might be what happens, but it's for a greater purpose than that. So um, being in God's presence and feel it, you know, kind of recognizing his closeness to you and the presence of his um, glory, near you and feeling you know almost a tangible presence there that is a really lovely but the more important thing is that our attitudes of our hearts that we're worshiping him that we're doing what he desires and that is extolling him worshiping as king raising him to that higher place and i think that what then springs out of that is um isaiah's response when god says looks for someone to send and, you know, Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And I think that is um, the kind of outworking of that experience of worshipping God is that we, we get sent. We want to go. We want to go and tell others. We want to go and um, share the kind of the intimacy, the love that we have got from God with others. And so it's not this kind of, it's not this about this... Um, holy huddle of like I'm in my room worshiping God and it's that kind of very in one way yes God deserves that worship but almost selfish all about me or this experience I'm having with God it's not it's this empowering 
so that we can then go and do what God wants us to do. Um, and as a lead, as a leadership team, re, we've been trying to spend some time really just listening to God and what God has been saying, um, rather than, you know, just praying or whatever, but just actually having times of real quiet and listening. What is God saying? And during one of those times, I had the picture of, um, a lizard in the sun I suspect you've all seen seen lizards or seen pictures of them when they bask in the sun um, and heat themselves up and that, the reason that lizards do that kind of heating themselves up is because um, it basically the um, heat from the sun kind of makes their metabolic rate go faster so they can move faster and do all the things they need to do without that heat warming them up they would be sluggish they wouldn't be able to catch the the food they need they wouldn't they'd probably get eaten by some something else and so and god gave me these words like bask in the presence of the king and i just feel that is like a image of worship and as we come into his presence he's giving us the power that we need to then go out and do the things that he's called us to do the works he's prepared before for us to do that is the place where we get the kind of um, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do all that he's called us to do. Now, so this worship, this, this celebration of worship, um, this discipline of worship comes under one of the corporate um, disciplines. So it's very easy to think about this as very much on your own, on, in your own room, having your private time, just you and yourself on your own. But this is one of the corporate disciplines because as we come together to worship, that is when God's power is really released, I feel. Now, I think it's really important that we each have times on our own worshipping God, sung worship like this, getting into that presence of God. Because then when we come together, we have a greater expectancy of what God is going to do, how he's going to move amongst us. If we've heard God talk to us um, and touch us when we're on our own, then as we come together, we know that where's two or three are gathered, there he is in the midst of us. And that, that will raise the expectancy. People that are struggling and people that are having a harder time will then get caught up into the presence of God by us corporately worshiping together. So I think one of, you know, kind of one of the hardest giftings in the church is maybe like leading worship because you're trying to lead people through that process into that place of um, real communion with God. And the people kind of in the congregation have to be willing to be led along with you into that place. And we put all sorts of silly stumbling blocks in the way, don't I know I do, you do probably the same, like, oh, it's that song I don't like, or I don't, you know, and there are things, but actually it isn't about the words. It's about our heart's attitude. And however we get into that place of worship, that place of communion with God, it, it doesn't matter, but it's, get, it's the process of getting there. It's our hearts that God is looking at. So that's why worship isn't just about singing. It's so much more. It's us being obedient to him. Um, and so the real challenge to us is that um, it's not a choice to be a worshipper. It isn't like, oh, I don't really like worship. Worship isn't my thing. 
because actually if we um, think about um, Jesus when he met the Samaritan woman at the well and he's talking to her and she starts talking to him about worship and Jesus says to the Samaritan woman the time is coming when you won't worship you know on this mountain or in Jerusalem but God is seeking after worshippers who will worship him in spirit and truth and I think that's really powerful. God is seeking worshippers. And this is not, again, we're not talking about sung worship, that's part of it, but those who will acknowledge him as king and put themselves under his rule. So it's being obedient to him. And so it's not a kind of choice that, oh, worship isn't my thing. Worship is, that's what God's calling us to do. Okay, sometimes I think that we can get hung up on the idea of this sung worship, but it's like coming back to what is, what is God asking us in worship? It is like to be sitting at his feet, like Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, just taking in all that Jesus was saying. It, that's the picture. And I think, oh yeah, I think that's all I was going to say, but... Um, I think there is a challenge to us there that um, the thing that we worship, so the thing that we put above us and allow us to have power over us, we are worshipping. So if there are things in our lives that we allow, we put in kind of God's place and allow to have power over us and are subject to, then that's basically idols in our lives. Now, sometimes um that could be actually worship itself worship some worship can become a kind of an idol you know and i know um we've talked about that you know like if you watch some of the worship on youtube like it looks like they're just being hyped up into the state that isn't true worship but it's all about our hearts and our attitude towards god oh lord god we thank you for the pictures of intimacy we see between you and your people in your word. And Lord, we long to be a people that have an intimate relationship with you. Lord, we thank you that you've called us your friends. Lord, we pray that you would teach us what it means to truly worship you. Lord, that you alone would be the one that we would bow before. You alone would be the one that we would humble ourselves before. God, we desire to be your true worshippers, to worship after you in spirit and truth. And Lord, I ask you to reveal to each one of us areas of our lives when maybe we aren't worshipping you, that we aren't submitting areas of our lives to your rule. Lord Holy Spirit, I pray you would come upon each person here. Lord, reveal to us where our hearts are cold or hard towards you. Lord, that you would soften them, that you would give us hearts of flesh that would call Abba, Father. 
I pray, Lord, that as we draw near to you during this time of sung worship, you would draw near us. Lord, may we see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.